0: Welcome to Teach, Think, Treat. This podcast is for healthcare professionals and students about teaching and learning in a busy clinical setting. Whilst our setting is a tertiary paediatric hospital, our experiences and challenges are shared by many professionals and students in other clinical environments. Hi, my name is Lee Li Chin Lim and I'm your host today. I'm the Education Fellow at RCH Education Hub and the medical education officer at the hospital. We're all aware of the profound effect that COVID had on our lives, in particular in healthcare. There's also been a lot of literature that has come out about how COVID affected the delivery of education for health professionals and students. COVID has also affected the education opportunities and healthcare delivery of health professionals, particularly those who are relatively new to their profession. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Jai Gard. Jai is the lead pediatric clinical teaching fellow and education research fellow with the University of Melbourne, and he is also a consultant pediatrician. He has recently published a paper looking at how medical education has changed as a result of the pandemic and how it has impacted the self perception of junior doctors' education and training needs. Jai is here to talk about this research. Welcome, Jai.
1: Thanks very much, Luchin.
0: It's a pleasure to have you here because we're both in clinical education, which is what we're passionate about. And Jai, we're going to talk about your paper. I love the title, The Void, COVID-19 Restrictions and Junior Doctor Education Opportunities. I can imagine at the time when you start this project, you're right in the middle of all the business and the disruption in normal workflow. So. What makes you decide to do it?
1: Yeah, I think it was exactly those two things, Lee Chin. So all the busyness and the disruption in workflow um, meant that lots of the normal education that we provide and the training opportunities we give to uh, new or upcoming paediatricians was changed. So we wanted to make sure that we were doing the best we can uh, in the time that was before us to make sure that the training for all future paediatricians um, was equal and okay. Um, so
0: how do you go about? getting that information.
1: There was lots that already was starting to come out, even in the early stages of COVID, about what the experience was being a training doctor in a hospital. However, we were finding that lots of that narrative, lots of that information was actually coming from the teachers or senior doctors rather than the learners or the training doctors themselves. So we decided to do a hospital-wide study of 20 of our training doctors, um, each from our four major groups of trainees, um, to see what their thoughts were.
0: You mentioned there are four major groups. Can you elaborate who they are?
1: Yeah, of course. So here at the Royal Children's Hospital, in very general terms, yeah, there's four groups um, of training paediatricians or paediatric specialists. There's our junior residents, those who are very new, often within the first year or years -er of their um, training to become specialists. And then there's senior residents, those who've already had one or two years looking after children and families. We have registrars who have often already overcome lots of hurdle requirements, including examinations for their specialist training, and are now taking the lead in making some decisions around the investigations, management that needs to happen to care for families and children the best. And then we've got fellows, people who are very close to becoming specialists themselves, And just doing the last few years of work in a hospital or somewhere similar to try and make sure that they've got all the skills they need for independent practice in the future. Our study had a look at five representatives from each of those four groups to see if how their education, if at all, was impacted with the COVID-19 restrictions, how wide-reaching that impact was, and was the impact the same um, independent of which of those four groups you came from?
0: Mm. So are they equally impacted or the residents more impacted compared to the fellow? What's your finding?
1: It was really interesting, Li-Chin, that actually we thought there was going to be quite significant changes in education across all those four different groups. But there were four key ways that all of the training um, specialists, regardless of which group they fit into, found that COVID-19 impacted upon their learning. So one was that there were voids in their learning or there were specific skills, specific knowledge, um, specific opportunities that despite different sorts of ways, didn't seem to meet what they wanted or their learning target. Two, that some of the restrictions actually helped them, with their learning, especially as we move to more online forms of teaching, there was new opportunities and access to different resources that lots of these trainee doctors didn't have before. However, three, they found it really challenging, no matter what group, to connect with not just their own peers, but people within the medical team. And that had true impacts on how they learned, how well they learned, and what they learned. And then finally, they found it really tricky to envisage what their life as a future consultant or qualified doctor might look like. They didn't quite have the same frames of reference or opportunities to pull on to know exactly what might befall them later in their career, what they were working towards, and thus what they should do now as a training doctor to make sure that they are best equipped to be an independent practising doctor in the future.
0: Yes, they're all relevant points. And I'm curious to know when it comes to knowledge and skills, because that's the two things And um, when we talk about clinical education, a health professional can have the knowledge, which I tend to think that you can gain that knowledge in the world wide web these days. everything is online knowledge is very accessible. It's um, not about how much you can retain that knowledge, but more so how you can practice it, which is your skill part. So whilst your point on online access is you know more available, but how does that transfer to some practical skills that these doctors should be developing?
1: Yeah, a really good point, Lee Jin. So that's one of the three things or major pitfalls that we had found in trying to provide education during the COVID-19 restrictions. So one was, yeah, those application of skills. Like you said, um, we can often YouTube or we could find another resource to learn how to do a skill, but the opportunity to actually practice and gain mastery at those skills is a bit lost. Um, Those included things like annulation or perhaps helping children um, by providing an airway or intubation, doing more advanced procedural skills. Lots of that and all the opportunities to do that seem to be taken up by more senior people who'd already practiced those skills in the team. The workload was very high and the restriction on people within the room was very low. Um, It was tricky to find more opportunities to teach new learners how to do that skill well. Similarly, there was lots of communication skills. Junior doctors felt like they didn't have the opportunity to practice. Some of those things that would happen in large groups, like telling families about unfortunate news or perhaps having very difficult conversations around management decisions or speaking to large groups. Um, doctors work together with nurses and other allied health professionals to work out how we can best help families and children, because often those discussions happened over things like online meetings or in very small groups where the junior doctor wasn't invited. They felt that they themselves didn't have good opportunities to model, see how that worked, or to participate in those sorts of types of meetings.
0: Yeah. And I can think of a very simple example where before COVID where you have your team together doing ward rounds and perhaps the junior doctors will be presenting the case back to the more senior doctors. And potentially this may not have happened during COVID times because either firstly, they're not at the bedside or there are other ways for the more senior doctors to actually access those information, whether it's through our electronic medical record and then that bypasses our junior doctors and A loss of opportunity for them to practice that presenting or communication skills.
1: You're exactly right. So those medical handovers or those little meetings between uh, groups of doctors and other allied health professionals, where we try to keep everyone up to date with the information we have for a patient, normally it would be our trainee doctors who would hold or take the lead in some of those meetings. But you're right. um, In the midst of COVID, when everyone was busy, and often it wasn't the trainee doctor who'd had the most contact with patients because trying to keep the numbers of people in the room down, it was tricky for them to participate in those sorts of discussions, yes. And then the final thing we had found, there's lots of illnesses that are very common in paediatrics that we need to know very well. But in the midst of COVID, um, lots of those patients either didn't have the illness or didn't come into hospital, but they included children who had troubles with their ears, their nose, their throat, specific respiratory troubles, or needed really significant help. In the emergency department or in the intensive care unit. But again, because either those children weren't coming in to see us in hospital or the junior doctors were asked not to access those spaces to try and keep numbers down, really tricky for them to know how in the future, if they were to see a child with one of these challenges or troubles, they might help best. It was tricky to learn when they couldn't see it in front of them.
0: I can imagine. And I have to say our lives is so much consumed by COVID-19 and so much opportunities for COVID-related professional development, but I think we all need to remember that there are so many other health conditions out there that still needs our attention. Do you have an idea of what are some of the common childhood problems that our junior doctors may not be seeing in the last two years, or even our medical students haven't been seeing in the past two years, and perhaps they need to focus a little bit more on?
1: Yeah, a great question. So... It's changed this year, perhaps with reduced restrictions earlier in the year. But one of the conditions people were seeing less of was something called bronchiolitis. So a viral infection of the smaller airways in children who were less than one, with no one, no children being able to go to daycare to see other children, to migrate around and spend time with others. our rates of some of the viruses that cause that trouble significantly decreased. In winter, especially when lots of our viruses start infecting large numbers, we'd often find most of the reasons that children might present to a hospital was something like bronchiolitis. That's only something that some of the junior training doctors have seen this year, having seen very little children um, with that condition whilst we had the restrictions going. That was one big um, change from normal practice.
0: Mm, Right. I'm going to move towards how junior doctors may not be performing roles or responsibilities as they normally would, and how that might impact on their development. Because I imagine it must be a sense of loss of, I've trained to become a doctor, but where am I now? And I'm unsure what is my role and responsibilities. How would you comment on that?
1: That was one of the other key themes, Jim, that came through with the data that regardless of where um, a doctor was in their training to become a specialist, um, they were finding it really challenging to know what their future as a doctor held, what they needed to do now to make sure that they had the skills that they needed in the future for independent practice. This idea of self-identity that came out um, is often built on how we interact with other people within the medical team. That's not just doctors at the same level, that's our more senior supervising doctors, but also the nurses, allied health and other staff that we work with on the day-to-day. Most of those opportunities to interact, to get to know, to work with those professionals was really hampered in the COVID restrictions as we tried to reduce sort of staff contact. We moved lots of those meetings and discussions to online forums. And I don't know about you, but me, I often find it really tricky to speak up in some of those online spaces. It's not quite the same as bumping in to someone in the corridor and having a friendly chat. Um, And that was certainly what was coming through with our junior doctors, not having that opportunity to have those um, glancing conversations in person, to feel like they were part of um, a team in a space, not to have regular opportunity to work side by side with other people within their team. They found it tricky to find their footing within a team. Uh, they didn't quite know how they could progress on from that. They didn't quite know what team dynamics might look like in the future. And for that reason, it found, they found it very tricky to project themselves to know what they might be like as a specialist, what they might need to do, what they might expect.
0: Mm, yes, we might come back to that later on. Um, But I'm interested to know, now that you've identified these are the missing pieces um, in the junior doctor's education, what do you think we can do about it? Or do you think it's going to be an ongoing issue?
1: I think unless it is addressed, probably will be an ongoing issue. So our paper recommended um, essentially four things that we should try and focus on as medical educators. So Mm -hmm. number one is not to neglect um, that peer relationship, that psycho social, community, context.
0: Yeah. So this brings the concept of community of practice, which I'm also quite passionate about and ever more important in this pandemic world where basically I think learning needs to happen with the community and the community of practice will shape and encourage and support the learner, in our case, a doctor, to actually further develop their professional development.
1: That's right. Try to strengthen that pillar, trying to make sure that when we learn, we're learning within that community of practice. Um, we find helps strengthen how we learn, helps encourage and spur us on to what we learn um, and make sure that we learn it in good time. Mm. So making sure that we take time to build relationships between all those people we work with is really going to help with education going forward.
0: Mm. Yes. And you mentioned there's a few more things.
1: A couple more things. So number two is that we've been really excellent at quickly moving how we teach. We've got these new tools now in Zoom. We've recorded lots of educational videos. People have done an excellent job in making things like these podcasts. So the modes that we're teaching have really rapidly adapted in the midst of COVID restrictions. But what hasn't adapted quite as quickly is what we teach. So we know some of the skills that we needed um, during COVID restrictions are completely different to what we used to need to know on a day-to-day. There were times when we needed to know um, how to put on our personal protective equipment and how to take it off safely. Mm-hmm. We needed to know how we responded to children who had COVID disease um, or diseases caused by COVID. However, the sorts of things that we place time and focus on in teaching, training pediatricians didn't change. So uh, in going forward, we probably need to um, focus in on exactly what training paediatricians need to be equipped with to know. We need to change our teaching topics to reflect that.
0: Right. Do you have an example in mind?
1: I think by ways of an example, lots of children uh, have now for the better part of two years missed out on lots of those opportunities to have interactions with other healthcare professionals. Classically, children born in Victoria, where we are, um, would uh, see their maternal child health nurse or GP every few months as they continue to develop to make sure that we were happy with how they were growing. We were pleased with how they were developing, as we'd expect, and to make sure that we intervened early, perhaps with more assessments or supports, if neither of those things were quite on track. I imagine this is gonna be a big focus going forward more of um, our teaching time needs to be honed in on some of the skills in detection, assessing and helping those families who have children with challenges in these areas. Another would be um, trying to help training paediatricians get the most out of a telehealth experience. Because of COVID restrictions at the moment, we're still trying to keep case numbers low by reducing the number of face-to-face encounters. But going forward, we probably need to help trainees more specifically know how they can get the most out of these telehealth consults, how we can engage families and children the best.
0: Yeah, I definitely think telehealth is here to stay, regardless of where we are with the COVID pandemic. So thank you for sharing some of those examples. So we've discussed what's missing, what can we do better? And I think I would really like to end with What are your tips for our current junior doctors and perhaps also our current medical students who would soon become junior doctors because they have pretty much trained or started their doctor journey during pandemic. And like you mentioned before, there are certain things that they have missed during this time. So any tips for them?
1: Yeah. So I would ask all trainees and medical students going forward, maybe to be good advocates in their own learning. If there's things that they feel that they don't know well or they'd like to learn more about or should learn more about, much like what was highlighted in this paper, they need to be heard. Um, So without an opportunity like this, um, it's important that the learners put forward what they feel they need to know more about so our educators can respond um, and make sure that's what we teach or help teach to. Yeah, Uh, and
0: I think I can put my medical education hat on where we really focus on needs assessment, really doing it regularly because the needs are always changing and rapidly changing these days. So understanding our learner, understanding what the junior doctors actually need and in what delivery method is absolutely critical to deliver them something that is useful and relevant. Yeah. Yeah, Any other hot tips?
1: It's really tricky. Lots of the teaching has still gone back online. So I try and make sure that you are present, engaged, um, try and be active in that space. Like you said, I think some of these things are here to stay. And whilst it's really tricky to learn on a Zoom call, I think small things like um, having your video on, talking to others around you, making sure that you add your comment or ask your question are all important to get the most out of learning.
0: I might jump in here with Online teaching and learning, it's really useful if we all, whether you're teaching or learning, to have your full name on display and maybe in bracket what your role is because immediately other people from the other side of the screen can engage with you better. And that is also a much better learning experience from both ends.
1: I agree. I think that's a really good point to end with. So I think making sure that you find time to connect with all those around you. We think more than just making friendly or learning a friendlier place is actually going to benefit your learning. In those spaces, making sure that we're still all connecting, talking with one another, sharing our ideas is really going to help what we learn, when we learn and how we learn it.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much Drive for sharing this with us and helping us to be aware of the current challenges that we're experiencing. It is a tough road ahead. Um, for education for health professionals and also how that actually impact on service delivery. What is comforting though is that we're raising awareness of this issue and also hopefully we can all adapt. Thanks again, Jai, and great chatting with you. You too, Lakin. Thanks for listening to Teach, Think, Treat, part of the Royal Children's Hospital Education Hub podcast series. If you'd like to hear more of our podcasts, Check out our other podcast channel, Conversation with the Experts, where professionals from the Melbourne Children's Campus provide advice and insights, tips and tricks, and discuss latest research findings on a range of topics.